This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Karen. And welcome to episode 88 of the De Facto Leaders podcast. You may have noticed that we have a new podcast name. So really the purpose of this episode is to explain a little bit about where I'm going with the show and why I'm changing the name and the direction. So I have been hinting at this for a while and wanted to do the official rebrand this month. This episode, I'm just going to explain a little bit about my thought process and what you can expect in the future. Throughout this episode, I will be talking a little bit about the concept of asset stacking and leadership. And so I wanted to mention one of my free trainings where you can go to learn a little bit more about this method. The purpose of this process is to help clinicians get the time, resources, and support that they need in order to provide high quality support for their caseloads. We are limited on time and resources, but there is actually a way that you can make a difference and make a dent in the system at the policy level and in your facility so that you can provide really supportive services for your caseload and so that you can actually make a difference with your work. So to learn more about that technique, you'll want to check out my asset stack training. To sign up for that training, you're just going to want to go to drkarendudakbrannon.com backslash asset stack. Again, that's drkarendudakbrannon.com backslash asset stack. I 
I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about who this show is for. So obviously, my initial version of this podcast was for parents and for clinicians who wanted to support kids. But really, the primary focus was on parenting. But we are shifting the focus to more of a clinical leadership focus because a lot of my listeners were therapists themselves. And I found that there was a huge need for the therapists to have the support that they need in order to provide high quality services. Obviously, there's also a need for great parenting resources. I do think that some of this information will be relevant to parents, but the primary focus is on supporting those professionals who are supporting kids. So this would be speech pathologists, social workers, school psychologists, clinical psychologists, um, school counselors, even other people who work in schools like teachers and administrators. A lot of this is going to be focused around educational and healthcare reform, some of the changes that need to be made within the system, and what the actual professionals working in the system can do to start making those changes. I know that as a professional, it can feel like you're kind of powerless. It can feel like you're put in a situation where you don't have a lot of control over the way that you serve your caseload. I certainly felt this way many times when I was a school SLP. But what I also found when I was actually going through some leadership training myself, when I was in my doctoral program, and when I was getting my director of special education credential, when I actually had to do some leadership projects, I found that I could make a bigger impact than I initially realized. So I know that it can be really frustrating. I know that it can feel like you can't really make a difference but I'm here to tell you that you can. And so the purpose of this show is to provide information and resources that can help you to actually make that happen. A lot of times people feel like they can't make a difference because they don't have a process or a system and it just feels too overwhelming. It can be hard to actually figure out what to do next when there's so many possible different directions you can go. So my purpose with this show is to give you clarity so that you can feel empowered and you can make good decisions moving forward. Now, even though that I initially started out in the parenting category, I have kind of slowly transitioned with the types of topics that I've talked about on this episode this last year. I really have shifted more towards a clinical focus. It's gotten a good response from listeners. So that was part of my decision-making process and actually changing the name of the show. But the whole purpose around the switch and the concept of de facto leadership is really that if we want to make a change, we often have to just choose to be a leader from the position that we're currently in. I know that a lot of times people feel frustrated if the people who are making decisions about the way that services are delivered are making decisions that make our jobs more difficult. A lot of times this is just because there's poor communication, the people making those decisions are disconnected. So it is really important for the people who are actually in the trenches, working with students who really understand the system, it's really important that they take steps in order to inform those people who are higher up, because they often can provide a unique perspective that really someone who is a little bit more removed may not be aware of. And the thing is, is that there's many people who really just sort of rise up, where again, they're not in an official leadership position, or at least a position that is not 
traditionally thought of as a leadership position. So maybe they are a therapist. Um, maybe they are, again, where a lot of my information focuses is in that school service personnel category. So SLPs, psychologists, and social workers are the big three, but this could include other people like counselors and occupational therapists and other specialized service providers. But really those people who do actually have some responsibilities in managing a team, but they also provide direct services to students. They may not traditionally be thought of as leaders, but when you actually think about what their role is, they actually can function as leaders in certain initiatives. And and so my main focus is on empowering people in that position to actually make a difference. So this would be someone who maybe just is planning on staying in their current position, but really just wants to feel more autonomous in their practice, or somebody who maybe does think that they want to transition to something else. Maybe they want to transition to a leadership role within the school positions. Um, Maybe they want to be an administrator. Maybe they want to be a clinical supervisor. Maybe they want to move on to higher ed. Um, Maybe they want to start a business or just start different programs in their community, whatever it is. Um, This could be anyone who wants to make a change and who wants to feel more impactful in their work. On the show, I'm going to help you do that. So I wanted to share a little bit about my own thought process and how I got to the point that I decided to focus on leadership. I'm going to go back all the way to my early parts of my career and then also talk a little bit about my business and some of the programs that I offer and why I've made some of the decisions that I have. So if we rewind all the way to the beginning of my career, this was back in 2004, I was a school SLP. And originally, I wanted to be medical, I took a school position because I thought, all right, this is a job, I can get started, I can get some experience, and then I'll move to the hospitals. Obviously, that didn't happen because I did make schools my area of expertise. But during my early years as a school SLP, I decided that I wanted to go back and start working on my doctorate. And the most feasible way to do that was to do it in the special ed department, which really made a lot of sense for me because I was working in a school and eventually I did decide that I wanted to stay there. So as I was in that special ed doctoral program, I really did initially think that I wanted to go into higher ed. I was really interested in research, but the special ed doctoral program also had a director of special ed program that was kind of overlapping. So they were separate programs, but a lot of the classes overlapped. So that meant I started to take some courses focused on leadership and started to do some different leadership projects that required me to do actual hands-on things. So I had to usually plan some kind of a project in the district that I was working in. Now, I could have just done the minimum requirement for the class, but I always wanted to pick something that would actually make a difference in my district. So that allowed me to take initiative and really go above and beyond my role as an SLP or, or at least go above and beyond what I initially thought my role would be as a school therapist. Initially, I thought, you know, I'm going to be pulling students out and my main focus is going to be what I do in therapy, which of course is a big part of my role. But really, I realized it was much bigger than that because there were many other things that had to do with doing my job well when it came to collaborating as a team, when it came to designing services, really just 
from a bigger picture sense, just really thinking about the entire IEP team before I even thought about what I was doing in therapy. So I really was able to work closely with some other members of my building, other members of the IEP team, as well as administrators. And I really found that I enjoyed doing a lot of those things that that were kind of considered school administrator tasks. So that's when I decided that I wanted to get on track to be a special ed director. And once I got on that track, once I started taking additional courses and not just doing my course requirements, but always looking to take that extra next step to figure out how I could be a leader in my building, how I could change the way things were done in my building, and how I could make an impact. Once I started to do that, I actually realized that I could make a much bigger difference and have more say in how things were done than I initially realized. And as I got down that track, again, I did interview for some administrative positions. I ended up opening a business instead and going that direction with my career. But really, that got me interested in the idea of clinical leadership, because what I saw was that people who are in that position, people who are in that school service personnel position, a lot of them, either they get to this point where they realize that, you know, they came in under their initial role and they thought, you know, again, they they might have had one idea about how their job should look, but then many of them realized that focusing on only the things that they initially thought were part of their job description just didn't allow them to have the impact that they wanted. And today I wanted to talk through how my programs work and just some specific scenarios that I've encountered with some of the clinicians that I've mentored just to give you a little bit more context for what I'm talking about. So my language therapy advance program is based heavily on my doctoral research, and my doctoral research was based heavily on one of the primary challenges that I had as a school SLP, which is that when it came to language and literacy, it was really difficult for me as an SLP to figure out where I fit in. I knew that language was really important. I knew that kids on my caseload had a lot of needs when it came to language. It was actually a huge portion of my caseload. It took up a lot of my mental bandwidth, and I didn't feel like I had a really good system for addressing it. And I initially thought, you know, maybe there's a curriculum out there that I could use, but I couldn't really find anything that fit the needs of my caseload. There were a lot of good reading curriculums out there, but a lot of times those reading curriculums are not something that a school SLP can address within the framework of how school services typically work. Usually, you know, we maybe would have 30 to 60 minutes a week with a kid. And those curriculums are things that, you know, they're supposed to be delivered every day. So really, the services that a speech pathologist should deliver to support language and literacy need to fit in a different framework. They should be delivered on top of an already robust reading curriculum. And many times things are very different from one school to another. There's a lot of different factors when it comes to figuring out language. You know, again, a lot of times people ask me what's age appropriate, and I can't really answer that question because across the school age years, skills are so variable. So really what SLPs needed was a decision-making process and a set of strategies that were flexible enough that they could customize it to each unique case, but structured enough that they didn't feel like they were just shooting from the hip. 
So really, the framework that I've designed in Language Therapy Advanced Foundations solves those issues. It gives SLPs a framework for addressing language processing and vocabulary and really supporting the language skills that are needed for strong reading and writing skills, which are going to be super important to academic performance as well as just all the way through a child's life. But that particular program is heavily focused on what the SLP should be doing in therapy. And a lot of times when people go through that program, they come in and they're very overwhelmed. And again, this is typically from the SLP's perspective. Now, the information that I have now is much broader than just focusing on SLPs, but my initial program was primarily for uh, for SLPs who were working with pediatric populations and who wanted a framework for language therapy. So a lot of them would go through the program. They'd come in super overwhelmed, not really sure where to start, and just, you know, their whole job is was stressful because they didn't have a framework for an area that was taking up, you know, a, a good portion of their caseload. So many of them, once they get to the point where they feel like they have a solid foundation for language therapy, realize that now that they've got that under their belt, they realize that there are other problems to be solved. So a lot of times this has to do with, okay, now I know what I'm doing in therapy. I feel like I've got my feet under me. I have a little bit more mental bandwidth to think about other things. And now they're thinking about, okay, well, shouldn't I be showing other teachers or other people I work with how to address some of these things that I'm doing in therapy? What about, you know, okay, you know, I've got a student who is struggling with language and vocabulary, and I've worked on some strategies that are going to help them to, you know, learn words independently, but there are these other issues that they're facing. And a lot of times those other issues are surrounding, you know, advocacy for making sure that students have support across their day. And so that gets beyond just thinking about things like vocabulary, and it really gets into executive functioning as well, which there is a lot of executive functioning work embedded into my language therapy framework, but it's very academic specific. And my original intention was, you know what, I will embed all of this stuff together. I will include lots of focus on metacognition and self-talk within the framework that I teach within vocabulary, because that's really what people are asking for. People want work on literacy and vocabulary. And I thought, then I will address executive functioning later. I initially planned on writing the language therapy course and then focusing on something that did address executive functioning, even though, as I said, there's tons of executive functioning work already embedded in there. But as you know, if you work with students who struggle with executive functioning, it goes way beyond just focusing on things like reading and writing. It's something that globally affects them across the board. So when I got to the point that I was focusing on executive functioning, I realized that it's just the the issue is just so much bigger than just focusing on what SLPs do in therapy. And it's actually way bigger than just focusing on SLPs. Because when we're thinking about executive functioning work, and when we're thinking about just providing students with comprehensive support across the day, we have to think beyond just what therapy techniques am I doing? Obviously, that's a huge part of what we need to do. We need to make sure that we have that kind of thing in place. But there's so much more to it than that. 
And really, if we are going to address things like language and executive functioning effectively, we need to think beyond the traditional service delivery model of just direct therapy. That is a part of it. But there's so much more that needs to be in place in the student's environment. And I talk about this in episode 81, where I talk about whose job it is to work on executive functioning. And really, it's it's everyone's job. Everyone just has a unique role. So if you want a little bit more specifics on how that works, definitely check out episode 81. But the point being is that it goes beyond just thinking about your therapy techniques. And we really have to think about being good leaders. We need to think about how we collaborate with other people and build relationships. We need to think about how we can work together with leadership to change the way things are done in our building. Because in order to make sure that kids are getting support across their day, we need to make sure that the staff has the right information and training and assistance to be able to actually implement all of those strategies. They need time to meet and work together to plan. They need time to make resources for parents. There's really a lot of additional work that needs to go into this. And a lot of times people think of these things as extra above and beyond, but really if you want to be effective in your therapy sessions, if you want to be effective at your job, you have to be thinking about these things. And a lot of times people don't do these things for a number of different reasons. So first, I just wanted to say that it burnout is a huge issue among school service personnel. So a lot of people in that position are sort of in this career crisis where they're feeling really burnt out with their work. They initially loved the idea of what they were going to do. They wanted to pick this rewarding career, but they're feeling kind of helpless because they know that the kids on their caseload need so much more support than what they're currently offering, and they're not really sure what to do about it. And as a result, they're starting to get burnt out, and a lot of the things that they're trying to solve that problem aren't really working. So a lot of times they're focusing on things like, you know, productivity, apps and techniques, or they're doing self-care, which all of those things are fine. But the problem is that they don't necessarily get to the real issue. Um, Really, the problem is, is that when burnout is setting in, it's not just an issue of doing too much work. It's more of an issue because you're doing unsatisfying work. It's really easy to get burnt out when you feel like you're working over and over again and you're not seeing the impact of what you're doing because then it's really hard to stay motivated and engaged and it's really hard to feel like you're successful. It's really hard to feel good about going to work and that's really what causes burnout. It's not just strictly about there being too much work. Now, granted, having too much work can certainly get you in a place where you can't feel like you make a difference because you're just overloaded. So that's certainly a factor. But I just wanted to say that because I think that you have to really understand what the problem is if you're going to come up with a solution. The truth is, is that it's so disempowering to hear that the there are just too many issues with the system, the problems are all out there, we can't do anything about it, because then you just feel like you're not in control. The truth is, is that if you have the right process and the right skills, you actually can make a difference. And the fact that there are so many systemic issues is exactly why clinicians need the right tools to deal with these issues. 
The solution to ending career burnout is to put yourself in a position where you actually have the time, the resources, and support to deliver services that are effective so that you actually feel like you're making a difference so that you can actually feel good about going to work. That is actually why I developed the asset stack method. This is a strategy that I used when I was working full time and getting my doctorate because I had to be really efficient with how I used my time. It was also a strategy that I used when I was trying to get initiatives pushed forward in my district. So if there was something that I didn't like as far as a protocol or something that I felt was not effective, I would use this strategy in order to make some changes or at least work towards making a dent in how things were done so that my input could be heard. And it's also the same strategy that I used to have a number of different experiences while I was working in the school so I could get teaching experience and leadership experience. And then finally, I also used this process when I was building my business on the side and also still working in the schools. So what this can do is just allow you to build skills, build leverage, and really make a bigger impact with your work. Asset stacking is a process that helps you create leverage and develop your leadership skills so that you can have more positive influence over others, whether it's your clients, your colleagues, your supervisors, or even leaders in your community. And it's also a process that can allow you to build your skills and build additional assets that can help you get better results, whether that is more support for your caseload, whether it's more resources so that you can actually get more things done, or whether it's actually an income stream that makes you more money. And in my experience, the reason that people are hesitant to really think of themselves as leaders or even focus on these things is because they don't think it's possible for them. Maybe they can't figure out how to block out the time to work on big picture things like, you know, being a leader in their building or other long-term goals that they might have. Maybe they've got some ideas about how they can improve things in their building, but they have no idea how to block out the time to actually make it happen. Um, Maybe they feel overwhelmed and don't know what issue to tackle first. Or a lot of times, and this is a big one, they don't think it's possible to make a dent in the system because they think I'm just one person, there's so many issues, I can't make a difference. Or they don't believe in their ability to persuade others. They think I'm an introvert, I'm not persuasive, no one will ever listen to me. Maybe they've tried to collaborate before with administrators or with their colleagues and they didn't get the results that they wanted. And really the biggest thing is that they don't think that they can be a leader right now if they're not in what they think is an official leadership position. So those are many reasons that people don't get started and that they get kind of stuck in this career rut where they just don't have the sense of satisfaction with their work that they'd like to have because they just don't feel like they have the autonomy and the impact that they want. So I'm here to tell you from my own personal experience working successfully in multiple clinical and leadership roles over the last 15 years that all of those things that I just mentioned are solvable. But the truth is, is that you can't block out time to fix everything at once, which is usually why people get stuck and feel like they can't make a difference. Instead, you need to focus on one thing at a time so that you can build leverage strategically and allow the results to multiply over time. And that's exactly why I wanted to shift the focus of the podcast to this 
idea of de facto leadership, leading from where you are and learning how you can make a difference, whether you want to stay in your current role and just feel more autonomous or whether you actually think that you might want to make a career pivot. Maybe you want to shift to something else in leadership or in business, even if you're not sure what that is. If you know that you want to make a bigger impact with your work, this will help you. So really, that's going to be the focus of the podcast moving forward. I want to give you lots of examples and just share stories of people who have been able to make a difference in their facility and their community. So I will definitely have people who have just had leadership roles within a clinical or educational setting, whether it's, you know, again, an official leadership title, or whether it is just that they have done something really cool, and they've just created something within whatever position that they were in. I will also be having people on who have done some type of initiative in their community, started some kind of a program that helps kids, really we're just focused on de facto leadership that supports kids to be successful adults, because really that is the same goal of the show, but the way that we're doing it is by being leaders. If you would like to learn more about the asset stack method, then check out the registration page where you can sign up for my free training about how to provide top-notch support for your caseload. All you need to do is go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash asset stack. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash asset stack. Before we wrap up, I wanted to just say that if you know anybody who's done some really cool project or has created a program or a business or has made some kind of change in their community or who's just really stood out as a leader in their position, then I would love to hear from them. So if you have any suggestions for guests for the show, somebody that you know that stands out to you, or if you've done something really cool and you want to share it on a future episode, definitely reach out to me. You can email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. Again, that's talktome at drkarenspeech.com if you have a suggestion for a future guest. So now we will wrap up the first official episode with the new name, De Facto Leaders. And thank you so much for listening. And I will see you in the next episode. simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test, you can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com 
backslash B-E. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.